Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the book Range by David Epstein. Keep listening to find out why we need to stop specialising. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back. I'm excited about getting into this book because I read it pretty recently and I loved it. It actually took me quite a long time to read, not just because I'm a slow reader sometimes, but it's quite a long book, which doesn't doesn't help these situations, but I kind of fell out of my good reading habits, as I sometimes do a couple of times a year, I'll fall off the reading wagon, and I will end up taking a month to finish a book that should probably take me 10 days. Like I said, this one is a slightly longer book, but it was fascinating. Every time I came back to reading it, even though it was in sort of shorter, sharper bursts than I normally like to read in, I was reminded how great it was and how awesome the different stories and case studies and research is. It's quite wide ranging, pun intended, but it goes in it goes into all of the things that we are led to believe are better about specialization and kind of throws them out to an extent, which I liked. I posted on LinkedIn a few weeks ago about how about 10 years, well, no, more than that, about 13 years or so ago, 14 years ago, a friend of mine said, Steph, you're such a jack of all trades and a master of none, and how that haunted me for about 10 years. Now, over the last three or four years, I've been embracing my multi-potentialite, which is a new term I learned on a TED Talk, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, because if you have had that same crisis as I have, you're feeling like that you're not good enough because you're not specialised or you're too general then that TED Talk will give you all the language and all the good feelings that you wish you'd had for over that period of your life where you've been feeling that way. So if that sounds like you, let's get into the book and the podcast, and I'll share the three big ideas I took from the book range. A little bit about the book. Plenty of experts argue that anyone who wants to develop a skill, play an instrument or lead their field should start early, focus intensely and rack up as many hours of deliberate practice as possible. If you dabble or delay, you'll never catch up to the people who got a head start. But a closer look at the research on the world's top performers, from professional athletes to Nobel laureates, shows that early specialisation is the exception, not the rule. David Epstein examines the world's most successful athletes, artists, musicians, inventors, forecasters and scientists. He discovered that in most fields, especially those that are complex and unpredictable, generalists, not specialists, are primed to excel. Generalists often find their path late and juggle many interests rather than focusing on one. They're also more creative, more agile and able to make connections their more specialised peers just can't see. A little bit about the author. David Epstein is the, and I'm going to, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that wrong, if it's Epstein, Epstein, I'm going to go, I'll probably flip between all of them, is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialised World and of the New York Times bestseller, The Sports Gene, both of which have been translated into more than 20 languages. And to his surprise, they were purchased by not only his sister, but also by President Barack Obama and former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. He was previously a science and investigative reporter at ProPublica, and prior to that, a senior writer at Sports Illustrated, where he co-authored the story that revealed the Yankees' third baseman Alex Rodriguez had used steroids. David has given talks about performance science and the uses and misuses of data on five continents. His TED Talk has been viewed more than 8.5 million times and was shared by Bill Gates. Three of his stories have been optioned for films. 
David enjoys volunteering and as an avid runner, he was a Columbia, Columbia University record holder and twice NCAA All East as an 800 meter runner. All of those blurbs about the book and about David were taken from his website, davidepstein.com, link in the show notes. All right, let's get into the three big ideas I took from the book Range by David Epstein. Number one, Roger versus Tiger. Roger Federer and Tiger Woods are at the height or have been at the height of their respective sports and not just in their generation, but they've defined the sports in many ways. But they got there in very different ways. Tiger, and if you've listened to the episode I did about the Tiger Woods biography, you will know some of this. If you haven't, after this episode, go back and listen to that. I've put a link to that in the show notes too. Tiger hyper-specialized and from a toddler. His parents were, and particularly his dad, were hellbound that they he was going to succeed as a golfer and be the best in the world. Whereas Roger Federer growing up, he just liked playing sports and particularly ball sports. So he played a lot. He played a lot of football, played a lot of tennis, played a lot of all different types of ball sports. And eventually he picked tennis in his teens at an age and at a stage where a lot of his peers who were going into the more elite athlete field had had nutritionists and trainers for most of their lives. But we worship the tiger stories, even though the Roger story is way more common. Sometimes there are actually whole award-winning or world cup-winning teams who are all Roger Federer's in many ways. They all grew up playing a broad range of things and specialised in, in, in one example, there was a soccer team that most of them didn't specialise until their early 20s and didn't get into the training programs for going professional until their early 20s, which again, incredibly late when you think of the, the comparisons to play people like Tiger Woods and those specialised and early start stories that we, we idolise. The research actually shows as well that elite performers actually practice less at a young age and they sample more widely across their field. Whereas the near elite performers, or the ones who don't quite make it, they specialise and practice more earlier but then drop off in their mid-teens. Like I said, that Roger path, the, the practicing less at a specific thing at a young age and sampling more is much more common, but it just doesn't get the attention. So that's big idea number one, Roger versus Tiger. Big idea number two, and it's another theme that goes throughout the book, it is kind versus wicked. And this is the idea that the world's problems are becoming more wicked and not just from a moral standing perspective, although there is an element of that too, but wicked in terms of they're much more complex. There are more moving parts, that the things that can't be repeated. It's like Martian tennis. You don't know the rules. You don't know what's going to happen next. Therefore, we need the conceptual reasoning skills that we can transfer across different fields because things that are complicated, and this is the difference between complex and complicated, things that are complicated would be something like building a rocket to go to space. Incredibly complicated, but once you've done one, you know how to do the next one. An example of something complex, and this is an example from another book, is raising a child. Just because you've raised one, doesn't mean that all of those same things are gonna be replicable on another child and you're gonna get the same outcome. So things that are more complex, we're getting more of those in the world. So what we need is that ability to transfer skills around things that are maybe conceptually similar or structurally similar, but aren't actually the same. There was a study done of some students who, that showed that this isn't happening. These skills, these conceptual reasoning skills aren't being learned and aren't being taught. So they're taught the facts, and this is where people are getting into university and being forced to specialise at really quite an early age. They're taught the facts of their fields, but, but without the understanding of the underlying principles and the ability to apply them to establish truth. 
there was an example of that with with particularly science students who couldn't actually distinguish when they were given some examples and some critical reasoning type problems they were confusing or conflating correlation and causation so that just the fundamental concepts of science were being ignored because they weren't they didn't know how to apply them all they knew was the answers to things rather than how to get there it was really interesting there was this part of the book where they talked about this study of remote villages so they went some some researchers went to this these remote villages and found communities who were still living in a pre-modern era way so illiterate no education still farming off the land living in a self-sufficient way with no outside influence and nothing from a, from the post-industrial revolution age what was really fascinating and i just found this this mind-blowing is those remote villages and there was a few there was a few different villages there was some that had a little bit more outside influence they'd started to build cooperatives in their within their villages and within the farms and they had they'd almost start to build a bit of a hierarchy there was an element of little bits of education where some people had learnt not full literacy but they had started to learn how to use letters and numbers and things what they found was those who were completely pre-modern they couldn't abstract or they couldn't reason with things outside of their direct experience what that meant was that those pre-modern villagers had better names for things like colors they had these amazing descriptions like when they showed them these colors of some some material they bought with them they said right what what color is this and they would describe things as rotten teeth or body of water or lots of water or freshly freshly grown cotton what they would couldn't do though was group things conceptually so for example they gave them an image or picture of two circles one was one was hollow just a line of a circle and one was filled in a circle but filled in they said how would you would you would you group these together and the the villagers were almost incredulous they're like well, how can you group well, you know what why is a coin similar to the moon and similarly they had a square they had a drawing of a square one was just a, a square a, a box and another was a square but drawn with a dotted line around the outside and again when they were asked to to classify these or if they would put these shapes or the these things together again they were they were confused they were like why could you you can't put a watch with a map so it was just amazing that they didn't see the conceptual shapes they had no sense of relationship and they certainly couldn't imagine so they were given these almost reasoning problems so they would say things like bears white bears live where it is very cold and then they named a town in in the the north of the country which was very cold and had white bears and they said does this does this place have white bears and the villagers the pre-modern villagers were saying well i don't know i've never been there they could not link the information of a place is cold and may have white bears with does this place have white bears they couldn't they couldn't put those things rationally together which was again i just found this whole section just completely fascinating however when they started to talk to those who had some education were doing that cooperative farming and and were starting to they were starting to ask questions around how do i make my farm better they were starting to think slightly more conceptually and actually further into the future and from a more abstract uh, perspective so what this shows I'm probably wondering where that where that connection is. What that shows is that when you're really specialized and when you only have a really narrow view of the world in the way that some of these villagers did because that was their experience, 
similar to the students who couldn't use their their concepts in a in a different way and same with specialists if you've only ever looked at one thing you will only ever look for that thing in your experience or within your field to solve the problems or to answer the questions that you've got so it was arguing in the book and com- coming back to the Roger and the Tiger analogy Roger Federer or his approach is much better for wicked problems because he has sampled across all different fields he's tried different things whereas Tiger Woods is better for kind problems or the opposite the more complicated things so golf can be quite complicated chess was another good example if there's a higher likelihood that you know what's going to happen or what's going to happen next or what the process of the system is going to be being tiger or being really specialized might not be a bad thing and might actually even help you whereas if there's wicked problems that need a much more abstract thinking much more conceptual thinking being able to find break things down into their their component parts being more roger and having had experience with different areas is going to give you those frames of reference to come back to so that's the difference between kind versus wicked which is big idea number 2 big idea number 3 is the power of analogy linking back from big idea number 2 we need to have better conceptual thinking and that comes from or relates to relational thinking and the ability to think in analogies now this is something again that just blew my mind i found just fascinating at the power of being able to bring analogies to life and it just made me really think about some of the things i do in my own work and how i can do that more and better The examples in the book or some of the stories of case studies in the book was the German astronomer Johannes Kepler who used this to realize totally new concepts and explain them like the impact of the moon on the tides and at the time that he was doing his thinking it was incredible some of the things that he was going to to explain or think about or hypothesize concepts in space and time from normal things that he was seeing around his house or in the world and particularly at a time where some of the concepts he was coming up to were basically heresy because they went against some of the more spiritual ways of looking things or looking at things and 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 arguing about or rationalizing why certain things happen in a certain way particularly in the environment and in nature there's also examples from Daniel Kahneman who wrote the book thinking fast and slow in some of his research and the things he did with some students by giving totally disparate case studies as primers for problem solving even though they were structurally similar so for example there was uh, an example they gave students who had to figure out how to cure this particular person's or treat this person's tumor and it was a really complex complex example and all these all these variables and this normal treatment wouldn't work and all of these different things what they gave them as a primer was an example or a story really of some people who had to fight a fire and the way that they fought the fire by all throwing their buckets their small buckets on at once to create a kind of bigger impact of the water throwing was really what the the surgeons or the students sorry had to do as the pretend surgeons in the tumor example so by priming people with a completely different example but that has some structural similarity was really powerful in making people go ah oh, actually if we use the lasers in the machine by doing lots of lasers at a lower density but at from all different directions that's going to be more powerful so it was being able to see those those contrasts and those concepts from other f- fields and being able to then use those the problem is that most experts are most likely or more likely to stay internal to the problem so a medical problem 
a doctor or a surgeon or a specialist will go to other fields of medicine or maybe other doctors or surgeons or specialists rather than looking wider. But some of the hardest problems at places like NASA and things that have stumped them for decades have been solved by amateurs or people with a totally different experience because they are looking and they are coming from the problem in a completely other direction. But they can see the parallels. And that's the, that's the beauty of the non-specialist mind is that it can see the parallels and go, well, hang on, that problem is conceptually similar to this other completely different problem in a completely different field, which I have had experience with. But being able to see that is the important thing. The other challenge is that we don't look at our things, our own things that we know in detail in the same way as we would look at a problem that we didn't know as much about. So we, with too much bias and too much detail, we bring, we make basically bad decisions. And there was a couple of examples of this where some private equity investors were told to assess a real project they're working on and work out the, the rate of return that they were going to get and the steps to success. What they were then asked to do, so they did that, and then they were asked to look at some other examples or some to think about some projects that they knew that were conceptually similar to theirs. So, for example, a business owner selling or a startup with a particular type of, of product. And what they were then asked to do is for those new stories or case studies that they didn't know as much about, they were given the same task to come up with the rate of return for those examples. When they did that, they realized that and when they compared the two, they realized that they'd given the their own projects, which they knew more about, about a 50% higher rate of return than the projects that they were new about and knew a little bit about and they were conceptually similar but they didn't have all the details on. And when they were given the chance to then rethink and revise their own project, they completely slashed their initial estimate. And they were blown away by this because they thought, well, we know everything about this project, so of course we're gonna make a better decision. But when they then compared it to things they didn't know as much about and were able to think at a conceptual le level rather than a details level, the results they came up with were very different. In one of the most cited studies about problem solving, they've concluded that successful problem solvers are more able to determine the deep structure of a problem before they proceed to match a strategy to it. Less successful problem solvers are more likely to mentally classify problems only by superficial, overtly stated features like the domain context. And this comes back, this is really the crux of the book, is that the more you know about an area, sometimes the worse you are at making decisions on it because you know too much you're not looking broader you're not thinking from a conceptual basis which comes back to being able to think conceptually and harnessing big idea number three the power of analogy so that's our three big ideas about the book range by david epstein number one roger versus tiger big idea number two kind versus wicked and big idea number three the power of analogy now, this book was definitely one that was much harder to pull the three big ideas out of. These are the three that I found the most fascinating. There are so many more case studies that both back up these big ideas, but also bring other certain ideas or concepts to life too. Highly recommend this book. It's definitely a five-star one for me. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And it just gives so much more insight into how we solve problems and how we're really bad sometimes at solving problems, but also why we shouldn't put pressure on ourselves to specialize all the time and where we can make better use of the things that we can bring in from other fields and why we should keep learning and reading across those fields too, which I don't need to be told twice to do. If you've read this book, you've heard about it, if you've listened to it, let me know, I'd love to know what you thought. 
But otherwise, in the meantime, happy reading. <laughs>